0: I'm going to steal the music stand from you guys, and don't forget your pick with your brother's face on it. Um, and for those of us, we have a large group watching online today, so hi Threads, how are you guys? Uh, thank you for joining us online. Oh, you stole my chair. <laughs> it's okay. That's what it's there for, I just couldn't find it. And um, we're still talking through Lent, and it's the fifth Sunday of Lent, and what that means... Um, is that we are we're not at the end of Lent, but we're almost at the beginning of Holy Week. So uh, next week is Psalm. Uh, it's, it's Psalm <laughs> was that Clark? Yeah, Clark is still alive. <laughs> okay, <laughs> See, nursery is working great. <laughs> um, no, next week is not Psalm Sunday; it is Palm Sunday, uh, and so this week uh, to, traditionally is to remind us that we are about to approach the death of Jesus. And so what you saw earlier, uh, not the video that was playing during communion, but the video I played at the beginning, is literally the scripture that we're going to go through today. So you've already heard it once, and now I'm going to read it again. And it is about Jesus being anointed for his death. But what I want you to remember is during Lent, we talk about death. I mean, the whole reason we talk about death is because the reality is that death is all around us. And not just people dying, though. That happens, okay? Over the past two years, we have seen that happen a lot. I mean, for the first time, I think since World War II, if I remember my stats right, the average life expectancy in America dropped down last year. That's dramatic. We have been in a time span where death is all around us. But the reality is, before the pandemic, death was all around us. We do things all the time to, to keep ourselves from physically dying, but also to protect ourselves emotionally, to protect ourselves financially. We have death in so many ways where death separates us from life and death it separates us from those we love because quite often, well, life is risky. Think of the the, the best moments in your life. They probably involved risk. Those of you who uh, have been at, at a birth. You know how risky that is, that death is just around the corner literally as life is is coming. We, we have it happen all the time. Think of the moments where you've done something where you're, you still think back on it, and risk was a part of that. So today we're going to talk about that. Since Charlie is not here because uh, they're, they're being safe and they're protecting us, uh, I am going to be operating... Uh, my, my video. And then Tegan will be here eventually also. So we've got people to do PowerPoint. It's just right now they're both being safe, and that's good. We like that. Uh, but you guys are missed because it means I have to look back here instead of being able to read from my Bible, which I prefer to do. This is the Word of the Lord. It's from the Gospel according to John. The 12th chapter, we'll be reading verses 1 through 8. I read typically through the NIV. Any translation is a good translation. Um, but... I'm reading from the NIV. This is what it says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, li- Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. I want to introduce you to a military strategy. Actually, some of you may have heard this before. It's called Burning the Ships, and it's happened quite often. This is a painting, actually, of the first time that I found that it was happened. One of the ones in in North America's history is uh, Cortez did this when he invaded and destroyed Mexico, which is not a good thing, so I didn't want to use that image. So instead, this is of Julius Caesar invading and destroying Britain, which is not a good thing, but I don't know. It was so long ago, I feel like we can talk about that now. Julius Caesar went into uh, Britain, and he was specifically fighting the Celts now. And if you know anything about the Celts, they were bad mama-jamas, okay? They fought like you would not believe. And Caesar decided to burn his ships. And, And according to tradition, it was the first time the Celts were afraid. Because they literally thought, what type of crazy man would burn his retreat See, that's literally the mindset. Is, it, it's, it is this mindset of, I'm all in on this. If this plan doesn't work, we do not have a plan B or a plan C. One of the things I pride myself on is always being able to find another way to do something. If you're a fan of the movie The Matrix, there's this, this one character uh, in, in the, the second and third movies, which I like to pretend like don't exist, but I'm going to, to pretend they exist for just a second. Uh, if, hello? We've never had that happen before. <laughs> Should I answer it and ask if it's God? <laughs> That's never happened. Uh, we've been here for about a year. No, don't answer. Mom. Mom, don't answer. Just let it ring. I'm sorry. I just find that funny. We've been here for almost a year. I didn't even realize there was a phone here. So, well okay so back to the second and third movies they're not any good but there's this one character called the keymaker. and he has this line where he says anytime they run down a path and something's blocked he says there's always another way and I kind of pride myself on that of always being able to come up with a plan B and a plan C and a plan D and sometimes I get down to like plan Q this is the opposite of that this is this is the only way. And I'm going all in. If this doesn't work out, I'm doomed. And that's kind of what's happening in this passage today. So what we read was a story of, of Jesus eating at Lazarus's house, and you have two people that you've seen there before. Seen before. If you've read Scripture, you've uh, you've seen Mary and Martha and Lazarus before. Mary and Martha were the ones who approached Jesus when Lazarus was dead. This is in the chapter before this, in chapter eleven. Lazarus is raised from the dead, and Martha says, "Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died," because she trusted in his healing power. Earlier on, they're throwing a dinner party and Martha is just a servant away. She's doing the dishes. I don't know why she's doing this, but this is what I picture her doing is just doing this as she works. And, and Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and Martha's like, um, Jesus, you should be telling my sister to help me. And Jesus says, Mary chose the better thing. We've seen them before. And this story of Mary anointing the feet, well, there's two instances where It happens again, and somebody's not named. So we're not sure. So here here are the other two, okay? Mark 14 and Luke 7. But chronologically, they happen in a different time. No name is given. Traditionally, quite often, this this person is described as Mary Magdalene. It was probably not Mary Magdalene. Um, That was started because a pope said it was Mary Magdalene. And since then, we've gone, no, that doesn't make sense and such. Um, It was probably not Mary Magdalene. Could it have been this Mary, Mary the the sister of Lazarus? Maybe. I tend to think it was not, but that really doesn't matter for this. What matters is this. We have two people responding to Jesus in this story. Jesus is the center of the story, and we have two people that are responding here, and they are Mary and Judas. And they respond in two very different ways. So let's start off by talking about Mary here. Mary... Well, she takes this, this bottle of, of, well, here, here's what the Scripture says. It says this. Um, oh, I'm sorry. This is where we've seen uh, Mary before. I just talked about this. This is why I should look at my notes. Uh, this is where uh, Jesus was, uh, excuse me, where Mary sits at Jesus' feet. If you read down here at the bottom, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about so many things, but few things are needed, and indeed, indeed only one. Mary was chosen, uh, has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is why you should always read your notes rather than just operating off your head. I just told this story. Mary, once before, goes, Jesus is teaching, there are lots of things to do. I'm going to focus on what I think is most important, which is Jesus' teaching. Martha did what some of us, The type A's in the room, we'd be like, I need to make sure everybody has something to eat. I need to make sure the the dishes are washed. But Mary was like, the Lord's with me, I'm going to watch. The other time is this, is, um, is at the resurrection of Lazarus. Those are the two times we see her. In this situation, this is what it says about her. It says this. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Now, I don't know about you. I don't, I, like, literally the only fragrance I wear is deodorant. If you walk by me, you're going to smell Old Spice, pure sport. That's it. Okay, here, I can hold my arms up. The whole room can enjoy... Uh, the flavor. I mean, I'm not a perfume guy. Some of you might be. Uh, My wife likes a nice scent, but she's not a perfume person in the sense of wanting a lot. So like I buy her perfume every few, like probably every decade, which means it goes out of style by then. I don't know much about perfume. But thankfully, DuckDuckGo, which is my version of Google, it's, it's a version that doesn't track you as much and I use it. They know a lot about perfume. So to give you an idea, we know about how much this was worth because of the fact that Judas Iscariot throws a price on it. He says it was worth about 300 days wages. Now, for us in America, that's a full, I know, that should shock you. Okay, that's a full work year. Now, the average individual I'm sorry, the median. Average is a meaningless word, okay? Median, which is, this is the point in the center. I know, I just made two people very happy. Y'all are smiling, going, yes, it is a meaningless word, Robert. Thank you. It's either median or mean. It is not average. The median, if you take all of the data points and go to the center, that is the median. It's a better way of understanding, quote, average. I know I just said it's a meaningless word. Uh, Because all the big figures tend to, shift the mean over some. So the median income in the U.S. is this, for an individual, $44,225. Right now? Right now. Well, actually, this was of uh, 2020. Per individual? Per individual. Now, the the household uh, is n- not what you, you might think, oh, it'll be double that. It's not. Household's around 64, if I remember right, but I was going to use individual, uh, because quite often, so like... Uh, it, most of my life with my wife, one of us worked uh, full time and the other one truthfully worked for insurance. That was their primary purpose was we need insurance. And so Pam worked like 10, 12 hours so that we had insurance. But this is the individual median income. All right, I want you to think about that. This is not the most expensive perfume in the world, but it was the most expensive one whose name I knew, okay? This is Chanel Grand Extract gardenia $17,000 a bottle there is a perfume that's 1.2 million that did not work for this illustration what, what Mary was holding in her hand is basically the equivalent of this about 2.6 bottles of this now I do not know what, what Mary's um, wealth status was we have some people in scripture that were very wealthy people Lydia was a wealthy person. She's described as a seller of purple. I don't know about you. I don't typically go, oh, you sell purple, therefore you must be rich. But in the ancient Near East, a seller of purple would have probably been well off. But I don't get the impression that Mary was a very wealthy person. What she was probably doing was, this was her retirement package. Now, wealth for us is typically monetary, not always. You may have heard the saying that somebody is land wealthy and cash poor or house wealthy and cash poor. But in the ancient Near East, your wealth, well, it wasn't necessarily in coin. Most of the time, it was in product that you owned. So if you were a farmer, your wealth was in your land and in your sheep and your cattle. If you remember, we talked about this with the prodigal son, that the the father... When he gave this money to the youngest son in the parable, he probably had to sell off a substantial amount of his livestock to be able to do this. He wasn't going to sell the land. He probably sold the livestock. I think, and this is me speaking, this is not Scripture, because Scripture doesn't tell us what her wealth was. I think this was probably Mary's security. I think this was her, I'm okay, my get-out-of-jail-free pass. Now, some of us in the room love personal finance and and one of the things that personal finance says is that one of your goals should be that you should have somewhere between three and six months of income saved. Why? Because emergencies happen. Do you know that most people in the U.S. cannot afford a a financial emergency of $1,000? A lot of people cannot afford a financial emergency of $400. This was Mary's If everything falls apart, I've got this, and this can solve a lot. I don't know about you. A year's worth of of wages would solve a lot for me, okay? If I just had that, I mean, one, Pam might be like, we should take a really long vacation. Actually, Pam always wants to take a vacation, okay? (laughs) That woman can plan a vacation like you would not believe. It's incredible. Um, But, guys, I think, and again, this is me speaking. Scripture does not tell us but this does not sound like something that she would have given if she didn't have to just give this. There are other things she could have given that did not involve destruction if she was wealthy. This involved destruction. And she gave this to Jesus. She, she went all in at this point. Now the other person that is in this story that is responding to Jesus is Judas. Judas. And Judas responds in a very different manner. He doesn't respond with, this is what I have that is my security and I will trust in you. But instead, well, he says this. He says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in there. You see the difference here? Mary is responding with, I'm giving you this, and there's no way I can pull it back. I'm giving you this, and it's entirely for your use. And Judas is going, I can use that. I can make that work. The, the poor will get a little bit out of this. and I mean, if I get a little bit, that's okay, too. There's so many things in life where we are called to trust and to trust completely, to jump into the air and just hope that there is someone there to catch us. But so many times in life, we respond with, that's just too dangerous. Maybe I'll give just a little. But that is not what faith in Christ is, is like. And I think that's not what the best elements in our life It's like, if you have ever been in love with someone, you know that love at its best is this complete emptying of yourself to someone else where they can hurt you more than anyone else. If you have been abused by someone or have loved someone who was abused by someone, you know that that the worst part is they are abused by the person who's supposed to care for them the most. We expect to be hurt by by strangers. We expect to be hurt by enemies, but not by the one who's supposed to love us. You, You pull your armor off and you make yourself vulnerable. Think of the things that you've done that you're really, really proud of. Think of how bad those things could have gone. The job you tried that that you weren't sure you could do. The test you took that you were like, this is just way too difficult. We have examples of that in our little small group. You saw one today. I didn't didn't get your permission, but I think this is okay. Because we talked about it earlier. Over the pandemic, we have watched David Strong learn to play guitar. He started taking lessons like two, three months before the pandemic started. Like, I remember at small group. So we have a small group that meets every other Wednesday. Uh, and he would be like, I'll be late to small group because I'm taking guitar lessons. And then I think around the third month of the pandemic, as I'm asking people to, uh, to do music, David's like, I'll do it. I got to be honest and say my jaw dropped a little bit. Because have you ever done something Where it's like, I'm putting myself literally on display. And that's not the point of music, okay? But you are on display up here. We have nothing protecting you. We don't even have a pulpit to kind of block people's view from you. And he gets up here to lead us. And what happens as a result of that risk is something beautiful. Not just beautiful in you playing, but the fact that your wife was smiling going, and I get to sing with him. That's a glorious thing. And and what happened? Well, when Mary broke open the perfume, the whole room was filled with the smell of beauty. But Judas just wanted to protect himself. Now, that's an urge we all feel. And maybe you don't. I do. I brought up personal finance because I'm one of the people... That is all about personal I just spend a lot of time on personal finance because my, my chaplaining job, that's the number one most private question I get asked is about people's finances and they need help and there's this shame in it. And one of the dangers with dealing with personal finances, you're always wanting to make sure that you have enough resources to take care of everything. It's one of the temptations for me. I understand what Judas would be like, we could have spent that. Yeah, maybe I would have taken a little bit off of it, but that's a waste. It's not a waste when suddenly the whole room is full of beauty. See, one of the things I love that the apostles did, I'm loving Clark right now. Okay, that makes me so happy. (laughs) I don't know what it is about babies, and they're going, ah, and then, ah, ah, ah. Makes me very happy. Peter says this. When everybody else was leaving Jesus in the sixth chapter of John, Jesus asked all the other apostles, Are you going to leave me too? And Peter's response is just simply this Lord, to whom shall we go? I love this. That's an all in statement. It's not saying I have all the answers, it's saying I have trusted in you completely. If you don't have the words of life, we're done for. That is an all in statement. That is a burn the ships statement. And great beauty comes out of burning the ships. That is not just true in our faith. That is true in our relationships. That is true in our parenting. That is true in our friendships. When you trust into someone so much that you're just like, if they don't do this, I'm doomed. Suddenly you find out if they're really true friends or not. When you take that risk, one, of coming to a new church and going, hey, I'm gonna pour my life into this. Something beautiful happens, or you're doomed. One of the two. When you take that 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 risk uh, with relationships, when you take that risk with careers, when you take that risk with faith, you either find out that you are anchored to a solid rock, or you're just in the midst of chaos. And I believe time and time again Jesus proves that he is that solid rock. It's the reason that one of the first symbols of Christianity was not the cross, but an anchor. If you look in the catacombs, you will find anchors. Now, to be completely honest, it was also a secret way of doing a cross, okay, if you look at an anchor. So you could say the cross is still the earliest symbol. But it's because he is our solid anchor. When we throw everything on him... When we burn our ships and we give him everything, he holds fast. But the temptation again and again is to say, surely he didn't mean whatever. Surely he didn't mean for me to play music on Sunday morning. Surely he did not mean for me to make myself vulnerable like this. Surely he did not mean for me to forgive this. Surely he did not mean for me to love this person. See, death ends up trying to, you end up trying to protect yourself and all you do is keep yourself from life. Life, again and again, calls us, well, we, we push all in and there's risk involved in that. And I'd love to say there's great reward, but the reward here is Jesus. The reward here in our relationships is Love. The reward here in our families is closeness. That's not reward like the world thinks it is. It's reward like what we're really all looking for. There's a reason we look at people who have lots of friends and we say they're rich. Because we know that's what life is all about. So before I end with what I think we can do with this, does anybody have anything to add? I'm going to guess not. I didn't feel my watch vibrate, which is connected to my phone, so I'm guessing that the video has not said anything uh, either. To be honest, if the video had said something, all it would do is vibrate my watch and tell me that they'd said something, and I wouldn't know what it was. But I gave Juan enough time to say something. So Juan. What do you Jesus Because at, at first reading, it sounds kind of sensitive. Hey! This, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Warren. <laughs> what do I think he meant by this? Because it does sound kind of insensitive. Wow, we are like mind sink here, Juan. Yeah, he says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And this can sound insensitive, and there have been some people who have used this as an excuse to not help the poor. Oh, Jesus said we will always have the poor. But that's obviously not what he meant because part of what Jesus did was helping the poor. And part of Judas' knew Jesus well enough to go, hey, the one argument I can make is we could have sold this and put the money in there to help the poor. I think Jesus is doing twofold here. One, this was a special time. If you remember from the passage of Scripture, this is six days before uh, the Passover. Six days. He is going towards Jerusalem with the purpose he knows he's going to die. So I think this is a special circumstance of this is about to happen and there are some things that need to happen uh, as a part of the glory that I'm going to receive, but also as an example to others. I think there's another thing on this too. This passage right here, the poor, uh, excuse me, uh, you will always have the poor among you. This could be also read as a statement about who the church is. A uh, writer and uh, activist named Shane Claiborne uh, he used to run a, 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 um, a intentional community called The Simple Way. Uh, is a very interesting fellow, and the way he interprets the scripture is actually saying it's a sign of the church. That one of the signs of the church is the poor will always be with us. Not in the sense of like, oh, they're out in our community, but that we will always be gathering the poor in. So I don't think it was meant to be insensitive. I think it's time sensitive. Uh, to this is happening six days beforehand but I also think it should be read as I mean one of the most revolutionary things of the Christian church in the ancient Near East was the rich and the poor being together and calling brother and sister it's partially why the Roman Empire hated the, the early Christian church If you want a very interesting book on that, I don't normally recommend books written by atheists. This is not a book of religion. This is a book of history. Uh, Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, Tom Holland uh, is a historian from England who's just written a tremendous book. I say just written. It was last year. um, Called Dominion. uh, That is all about the influence of Christianity on Western society. And his entire point is that Roman the Roman mindset was about power and the Christian mindset was about uh, weakness and that the Christian mindset has won over. He says that the whole reason we care for the, the weak as a part of who we are in the West now is about, uh, because of Christianity. I would agree with him, but I find it interesting that an atheist uh, uh, historian is making this argument. It's a great book called Dominion. I would encourage you to read it. So, yes, sir. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, I really like that, Clancy. That's a really good point. So I'm going to say it again because I don't know if they could hear you. Uh, but he may also be um, dis dissuading the practical view and quite often in uh, life we do is it practical or pragmatic or not Uh, and we do that in faith too in the church do we do this does it draw people in or not Um, because quite often the church the only thing we're concerned about is growth which I don't think is a very Christian mindset but uh, he may be dissuading the pragmatic view in the sense of everything has to be done for this one of the things I love is if you look at where this is in the scripture. This is the chapter after Lazarus was raised from the dead. And you could say that Mary's response to the resurrection was generosity. That generosity is not practical. Generosity is giving. Not out of, over, uh, of abundance, it's just giving. Some of the most generous people I know have the least. There are people uh, that I know I I don't see them as often now because what I'm about to reference is a tie. But there was one person I knew that I would never compliment them on their tie because if I said, that's a really nice tie, David, within five seconds the tie would be often in my hands because they were just that generous. I may say that about Maida's shoes. I don't think I could wear them, though. (laughs) Anybody else before I, I, I close this down? Then here's what I want you to do. Again, we're in Lent, and the focus is on death. I want you to simply pray this week and ask yourself, Lord, is there anything I'm holding back from you? Now, he may tell you something that's dangerous. It's always dangerous to pray and ask. Him. He may say, oh, yeah, you need to give up this. And he may not. Okay, don't hear this message and suddenly feel guilt like I have a retirement. I need to get rid of it. There were other people there that had resources that Jesus did not condemn for keeping those resources. Mary's perfume had been set aside to to, uh, ordain Him for the room to be filled with fragrance as He was anointed by this. Not all of us have been called to give up everything. But sometimes we are called to give up. Sometimes we are called to break the things that we, we thought we were depending on and trust completely in Him. Let me change that. We're always called to trust completely in Him. Sometimes that trust involves us breaking the things that we thought we couldn't live without. So, this week, ask him to search through you and find out if there's anything you're keeping back from him. Would you join me in our closing prayer? And it doesn't sound like Clark is as unhappy. So, I'm assuming he's still, oh, he's in the back. I can see he's still alive. You thought that was funny, didn't you? <laughs> Would you join with me in our closing prayer, please? and Holy Ghost. Amen. This week, maybe trust a little more than you should in somebody. Maybe give a little more than you should to somebody. Maybe forgive the person that you're convinced you you never should because you trust that Jesus is the solid rock and that that anchor will hold. Have a great week. Let's tear down.